Good evening, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to episode 19 of the Matt and Matt No Scale Train podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rochford, and with me, as always, is my co-host. Matt Suzuha. Matt, how are you doing tonight, sir? Fantastic. How about yourself, man? I am doing quite well. And uh, I know I always say this in the past and the beginning of our episodes, but tonight we have a super special guest on the show. Uh, We have none other than the man himself, Derek from the Notch Six podcast. Derek, how are you doing tonight, sir? Just when you guys thought it was safe to go back to working on your layouts, yeah, I've I've returned from uh, the great beyond. I, I'm I'm so honored to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk to you guys, and I'm excited to to hear more about what you're doing. And, and as a group, we can kind of talk about where things are at with the industry. So uh, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Derek. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank thank you very much, Derek. Yeah, it, you know we'll just get right into it because um, we probably have a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, so, Matt, if you don't have anything else, I'll just get started with some just some more basic, usual kind of interview questions. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, Derek, I'm just going to go over a couple of things. Um, and, and again, if you've listened to the show before, I, I usually ask kind of the same kind of interview questions. And they're just kind of something to kind of uh, just draw out the character and folks and like, you know, how you, you know, how you feel about the train industry and everything else. But um, uh, my first question is just when and who got you started in model railroading? Sure. So, so my story goes back, I'm 36 now. This story goes way back to uh, my preschool days. And uh, I've been fascinated with, with trains and, and model trains my entire life. And, and the real catalyst was, uh, the, the place where I attended preschool happened to be two blocks away from the local hobby shop. And it also happened to be the pet store. Well, the preschool teachers thought, let's take the kids and let's go take them to look at the pets. Well, me already being uh, the, the train aficionado I was, uh, I was the kid that was standing at the front of the store with my nose pressed against the glass display cases, looking at the Lionel while everybody went in back to look at puppy dogs. And so uh, that that store, Valparaiso Pet and Hobby, was kind of uh, my stomping grounds growing up in terms of um, my parents took the the warning on the early Lionel LTI boxes very seriously that said eight and up. And so I wasn't allowed to have my first Lionel set until uh, Christmas Eve, the year I turned eight. And that was uh, the beginning of the end, so to speak, in terms of um, that started that started what would become a, a lifelong love affair with Lionel. To this point, it's never stopped. Uh, I'm privileged enough that that I work in a job where where I get to work with O gauge trains on a daily basis, and uh, you know, it's just you know, I've done that job for 11 years, and I'm still just as passionate about the hobby. Uh, now as I was when I didn't do it for a job. And so, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, people talk about getting to do something they genuinely love uh, for work and for a job. And I'm one of those people that I, I get hate to do something I genuinely enjoy. And, you know, uh, it's it's been a pleasure to kind of be a part of this industry and continue to be uh, a part of this industry, although my role is less visible now than it was, you know, say five years ago. But uh, no, I'm, I'm still here, still still buying trains, still collecting trains. And, uh, you know, again, it's it's fun to, to see what the industry is doing uh, with all the changes that are going on right now. 
Gotcha. And uh, and just so you know, you are very you you are a very viable person. Uh, you know, we want to follow uh, in your footsteps. So uh, again, just uh, really appreciate everything you've done. Yep, you're a oh, huge well, inspiration I- to us, really. <laughs> you know, and I, and I said this before we started recording, I'm flattered. I'm flattered to be on the other end of in terms of being asked as opposed to doing asking. And I'm uh, the the mutual admiration is absolutely it goes both ways in terms of uh, how podcasting serves our hobby in the industry. It's it's really viable in terms of you know, and and I think you guys are discovering this is that is that this offers a long format interview that it's tough to put it in a YouTube video. It's tough to put it in an article. And, uh, you know, you can do it on really short notice. And it's something that I've always enjoyed about this medium is how fast, you know, there, there were times, uh, especially when there was breaking news in the industry over the last uh, couple of years that we were doing the podcast where literally, you know, I was getting phone calls a half hour before press releases went out and we were jumping on the phone with manufacturers that afternoon and, and literally putting episodes out that night. And, uh, you know, those are those are the the moments where you really look at the podcasting medium and how it can shine in terms of it doesn't require the post production that video requires. It doesn't require some of the spit and polish that other mediums require. And it, at times, it can be really quick and dirty, but it's also really effective at getting news out there uh, in a quicker way than a lot of other uh, avenues can. Absolutely, well said. Yep. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, we're definitely going to, um, you know, for those folks listening out there, we're definitely going to hit on the podcasting a lot more. Uh, but uh, I'll continue with some of my, uh, you know, some of my kind of general questions here. Uh, I, I might actually already know the answer to this question, but uh, what is your favorite railroad and <laughs> why? <laughs> well, if if anybody's listened to, to our end of the show, uh, we, we bleed uh, blue and white here over at... <laughs> And I'm, I'm so lucky that uh, the director of production for Lionel also shares my affinity for all things with a can opener on the side of them. And, uh, you know, so, yes, I'm a Conrail fan and there's actually a reason for that. And uh, it's buried in a couple of our episodes. But uh, I grew up about 200 yards from a set of ex-New York Central tracks, which then became Penn Central. And when I was born in the year 1984 was Conrail. And so my early years were spent watching uh, Conrail local freights and then Union Pacific coal drags that came in out of the Powder River Basin make their way in and out of the local power plant by uh, where we lived in Indiana. And so that really exposed me uh, to Conrail early on. And just uh, my favorite color is still blue. I mean, just a, the, the other thing I do is, is uh, I have a small car collection and almost all of my cars are either white and blue or blue and white or some <laughs> That's funny. Oh, yeah, it's it's really it's it's overwhelming at times. It's like, hmm, maybe I should try and get out of my rut here a little bit and try and broaden my horizons. But uh, now there's just something there's something about uh, you know Conrail as a whole. You know, the, it was such a success story, and you know there was there was a great article in Trains Magazine back in 1999, right right before the merger happened, and the title of the article was Dirty Black Rags to Shiny Blue Riches. And that's the Conrail story in a nutshell in terms of Conrail going from, you know, the darkness of Penn Central. And granted, Penn Central, you know, has its own uh, 
interesting story. And there's the people that are, are uh, surprisingly just as passionate about Penn Central. But going from, you know, that black and white stark image of Penn Central to, you know, rolling out this royal blue carpet on these locomotives with that blue and the white. And it was just Conrail was such a success story in terms of it wasn't supposed to be successful. It was supposed to be a last ditch attempt to make things right. And I don't think, I don't think anybody when they started Conrail could have looked at it and said, yeah, we're going to end up, you know, 23 years later with a, a company that would be uh, subject to, to two merger bids and actually end up having to get split in order to make it fair. And, uh, Again, it was just a success story. And, and like I said, uh, I came along later in Conrail's life, so I missed that whole rainbow period that, that Ryan over at Lionel, he's so uh, passionate about in terms of he rema- remembers the, the Amtrak rainbow days and you know, some of the early dark Conrail stuff. And, uh, you know, he remembers that. Whereas, you know, I remember uh, my Conrail days were, you know, SD40-2s and when like the SD60Ms were brand new, that's what I remember. And so uh, that's where I tend to to hang my hat in terms of what I collect and what I model. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, Lionel's not shy about uh, putting out some uh, some really cool looking Conrail <laughs> equipment mm-hmm. uh, in the last several years. Um, oh. I I remember there was that, uh, and it just caught me up, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm very Santa Fe, Burlington Northern kind of guy, uh, Rock Island guy, but, uh, uh, there was a, what was it? It was a big steamer, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, the, the T1. Yeah. 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 You know, that, the thing is, I'm, I'm probably going to spill a little bit of inside information here, but, uh, so Ryan and I talked about that project two years before it was cataloged. Uh, I, I remember the original artwork for that showed up on eBay. And I sent it to Ryan and I said, this needs to happen. And Ryan said, already looking at it. And it turns out <laughs> the, the artwork that was on eBay was actually purchased by the Conrail Historical Society. So the, the artwork uh, that inspired that model is in good hands. The second bit of information, though, is during that pre-order cycle, that engine, even though it's a fantasy engine, sold better than any other T1 in that catalog. Oh, I believe wow. it. That's I cool. believe it. I believe it. That engine is absolutely gorgeous it really is yeah yeah it it pops really well and like i said it's it's ryan has done such a nice job and i I compliment ryan anytime he puts something in the catalog that you know he he knows he's got a buyer if it's got a can opener on it and he know there's a handful of us warns me ahead of time most of the time when something's coming and i'm like okay like uh, for the t1 i'm waiting for the passenger cars i would probably expect those and this is a guess this is not sharing i'm, I'm not sharing inside information but he and i have have bantered back and forth about passenger cars for that locomotive and as soon as as soon as you see heavyweights catalog begin in the catalog i think you'll see a set of those for the conrail t1 and that's again it's a guess but i think it's i think it's a pretty educated guess but uh, you know he he gives me the warning the the worst one was and this was back i think uh this would have been 2017 Lionel Volume One. They cataloged, they cataloged all the Conrail SD60Ms plus the Conrail OCS set. It was like, I think it was almost like fifty-seven, fifty-eight hundred dollars in pre-orders. And I'm like, what are you doing? Are you trying? <laughs> it's like, it's like, how do I? I'm like, it would have been one thing to catalog the OCS set 
in one catalog, but you do that and then you slam, you know, SD sixties on top of that. I mean, it was brutal. And I'm like, I'm like, how am I going to swing this? Like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, thanks. <laughs> oh <laughs> man. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Derek, uh, you with your, uh, Conrail is kind of like Steve Nelson with his Monon. Ain't that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of it. Although I tell you what, if you if you look at what Steve has accomplished, Steve has Steve has the benefit of having great relationships with with manufacturers on both sides of the table, and Steve also has the benefit of kind of having that built in buyer's base of he's got a buyer's list that he can go to, and so if you look at what Steve has actually gotten produced in Monon in terms of custom runs. If you look at pre-Mr. Muffin's trains versus nowadays, Monon probably has had triple the number of products produced since Steve started Mr. Muffin's trains than in any other time previous. You used to be lucky to get a Monon 64-64 boxcar maybe once a decade. You know, and nowadays, like I said, I mean, you've got F3s, you've got, you know, he's having Harry custom weather locomotives. I mean, he's got custom steam locomotives from MPH uh, for the Indiana guys. And and then the funny thing is, too, is uh, David Letterman is a huge Monon fan. And so, you know, it's for those for those Monon fans, uh, it's it's a real special period. As long as as long as Steve is in the business, I foresee Monon continuing to get made in, in at least a, a decent quantity. That's cool. No, I, I think that's really great. I think um, you bring up a good point with the with Mister Muffin uh, bringing and doing all those custom runs, and not just Monin, but all of the all the other custom stuff that he's kind of brought to the table with just just, just specialized uh, paint paint schemes, and uh, that uh, I believe it was uh, last year where we had the um, the Amtrak's. Uh, he had he had the uh, Union Pacific. I think it was the with the E eights and the E nines or something like that, if I remember right. He had a custom oh, yeah. run of those. Those are um, cool. just I I I really enjoy uh, a lot of these custom runs, and and even if they're just like you know quote unquote like fantasy paint schemes, um, I, I I think I think they look fantastic. So I I was never really into like. Uh, fantasy paint schemes uh non-prototypical paint schemes you know however you want to you want to say it but uh, i would say in the last several years like i've just really taken it um by the heart like i I just like i really love all this fantasy fantasy paint schemes and all these custom runs uh that folks are doing and i've been i've been eating it up so (laughs) (laughs) that's where the industry has really changed in the last two to three years it used to be in order to get a custom run of anything, uh, the minimum order quantity is what a, what a lot of the dealers will talk about. The minimum order quantity used to be a hundred sets on anything, and that was a really that was a really cost prohibitive number. But since what's what's changed is is the manufacturers, and this is all the way around. The manufacturers have said, "Okay, look, as a dealer, if you're willing to if you're willing to take the risk in terms of you know." Uh, get out there and say, yeah, we're going to commit to X number of pieces out of out of a total run. You know, we'll drop the artwork for you, and if you think you can get them sold, get them sold. And and so it's opened up, it's opened up. You know, this whole world of you know, literally runs of 
25 locomotives in something, you know, and, and 25 seems to be about the magic number that I'm hearing from people is what it's taking to get things done these days. Yes, but I believe so. Yeah. It's crazy to think that, you know, it used to be, and this, this is, this is where the, the industry has changed so much in 30 years. You know, it used to be Lionel running 500 of something was a small quantity. And now we're at a point where where the industry and the processes have changed enough that you can run 25 of something and it's viable in terms of the decoration can be done in a way now that, that it couldn't be done, you know, even 10 years ago to the point where, yeah, you can run 25 of something and it still makes financial sense for, for not only the manufacturer, but for, you know, who's ever having the custom run done. And so it's, it's definitely opened up uh, this kind of treasure trove of, things that you never thought you'd see before as long as as long as it fits on whatever's in the production schedule in terms of the locomotives i mean you can slap just about anything you want on there uh to bring up a a point on that look at all of the uh look at all of the gs flavors that were offered you know from the vision line gs series um what was there like 16 Uh, maybe that's a little high but there may have been more than that I mean, yeah, it was a significant number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And what you have to think about and, and you know, what's what's kind of nice about being on, on the on the talking side as, as opposed to the asking side is what you have to think about and what the hobby has to think about is, again, you've got to hit a minimum order quantity in order to to have a locomotive run be successful uh, from a financial standpoint. And so, like I said, when you when you add in you know the the decreased cost of doing different kinds of decorations you know as opposed to having you know custom plates cut for everything and custom pad printing and blah 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 you know that that cost has come down significantly so all of a sudden you know offering eight nine ten flavors of something isn't out of the realm of possibility and every different flavor gets you that much closer to having that magical number that you need in order for the run to make financial sense for the company. Yep. Yep. And, 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 you know, giving customers <laughs> options is always a positive thing, right? Oh, you know, absolutely. yeah. Well, you've always got the hobbyist that, you know, I got to have one of everything. I've got to have one <laughs> That's of everything. Oh boy. Yeah. I, GS. And I, those guys are out there and and they're in numbers that might surprise folks in terms of there are guys out there that, you know, bought every one of the GSs in every road number. And it's like you look at that and you're like, holy cow, that's a chunk of change. But to them, it's like, eh, I, I got to have it. Yep. Well, sure. I mean, I'll give you I'll give you a good example of that. Um, I actually I recently actually just uh, uh, picked up one of the the Vision Line GS. And uh, I'm not a Southern Pacific guy. Uh, I am a uh, BNSF guy, you know, any of the heritage and a Rock Island guy. But they offered the BNSF and they offered the Golden State. And uh, I actually picked up the uh, the Golden State. And it's uh, it's it's, you know, it's a beautiful engine. I love it. It's it's in fact, it's my first vision line engine that I've ever purchased. And uh, if it wasn't for, you know, Lionel offering all of those, you know, flavors, I probably wouldn't have purchased one. My uh, my buddy DJ said it the best. He goes, you can have as many fancy schemes as you want, just as long as you buy the prototypical one to go with it. (laughs) (laughs) I have kind of like a million dollar question here. 
Derek, what is what is your personal take on the O scale model railroading industry for the next ten years? <laughs> Let me get out my crystal ball. And okay. I- <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting, and and I've had a lot of time to think about this. Uh, not having to do notch six on on a monthly basis, and really, we're going on about a year and a half now where it hasn't been consistent, and so that's given me that's given me a lot of time to think, uh, as opposed to just putting my thoughts out there every month. And I, I came back last October and, and sat down and did kind of a forty minute monologue about what I thought about the current state of things. Um, and this is this is I don't I'm not going to sugarcoat what I say, uh, and 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 I'm willing to say this to anybody who comes up and asks me. I think we I think we've kind of exited uh, the second golden age of O gauge railroading. Um, you know, if you look at really, if you look at the period from about 2000 to I think I think really within the last two years, if you look at everything that happened from 2000 to about 2018. Um, the options and the variety and the technology innovations and just there were so many things that happened during that time period and and you could probably back it up even further i would i would say you could go back and maybe call 1995 kind of the beginning of this renaissance period and from 1995 to 2000 you kind of have this this period where where the back and forth between MTH and Lionel really starts to heat up and then you kind of turn the corner right at right at the turn of the millennium where you have Lionel and MTH both suddenly investing in incredible amounts of tooling. I mean, insane amounts of tooling by the hobby standards. And then you fast forward, you move forward to 2003, you have BCS hit the market. 2006, Legacy is announced. It takes till 2008 for it to actually hit products. And then you've got another 10 years of this back and forth between, you know, the transition between Proto 2 and Proto 3 and Legacy really coming into its own as, as a full-fledged control system where it becomes standard across the line. And then, you know, towards the end you get lion chief and uh you know tius wius and you know the beginning of the apps and you know it was an incredible period of growth and now really uh, i think i think kind of the signal point for the beginning of this is is when we were decided to call it a day and really that's been more that's been more than i think five years now i think that was it back in 2016 when Weaver started to to wind down operations. And so when we saw Weaver go away and, and Weaver's assets kind of get spread around, you know, I think that was the first sign of, okay, there's going to start to be contraction in the market. And then last summer when the MTH announcement was made, um, you know, that caught a lot of people off guard. I mean, I, shoot, it caught, it caught people at MTH off guard. Um, and so, and now as we're kind of watching that story play out of how are the MTH assets going to be divided between manufacturers in terms of not only what's going to be divided, but what even is going to survive in terms of, you know, uh, there's a lot of product overlap in the market between, you know, what either MTH has that Lionel and uh, Williams and Atlas O have. And so not all of the tooling is going to survive necessarily uh, or want to be purchased by by third party companies, and so as we kind of look forward, um, you know, there's a lot to there's a lot that's unclear in terms of, you know, once all this tooling shakes out, you know, it's absolutely going to leave the big players with some options in terms of 
Um, you know, I've had, I've had the conversation for years with players at both companies, you know, imagine being able to do a tooling swap between Lionel and MTH in terms of, you know, their stuff in, in the Lionel tooling, you know, room that, that MTH has never had and vice versa. And now suddenly, you know, there's these options for, for these other manufacturers to put the, pick up, you know, this tooling and put their, their electronics in it that, you know, they were never going to cut the tools on their own, but if they can buy the tools for the right price, suddenly that opens up this whole world of options. So uh, I think you're going to see stuff, and, and Atlas is already the perfect example of this. You're going to see stuff coming from Atlas and I think other manufacturers within the next, you know, year to five years that they've never done before, you know, because suddenly they've got the MTH tooling and they can do it and they can do it for, for a price that they couldn't do it before because they were going to have to cut new tools. And so you're going to have that period of, okay, this is where the MTH tooling went. Now you're going to get an offering from company X with MTH tooling with company X electronics. And then once that cools down, uh, I think that I think that's really open for debate because you're, you're heading into this period. And, and I don't know about you guys, but um I get the sense, I get the sense that reality, and, and maybe this was last year, even though the market prices are up on the secondary market, I also get the sense that people are starting to evaluate their collections and go, what do I really need that I don't have? I, I have people who used to buy no questions asked. It didn't matter what it was, they bought it. And now those same people are starting to go, Okay, what do, what am I going to do now? You know, they I think last year really made people stop and evaluate their position and and go, okay, what do I need and what do I want and what do I absolutely have to have? And before that, they had never stopped and asked those questions. So I don't know I don't know how long we can go on forever with with the two catalog a year uh, cycle. I don't know. I, I can't imagine that we make it, and I could be completely wrong on this. I can't imagine that we make it uh, more than another five years with the, the twice a year catalog cycle. I, either it's going to have to go to one time a year, or it's going to come out in much smaller chunks consistently throughout the year, as opposed to you get it once in you know the fall or well, let's talk about Lionel's catalog. You get it once in the winter, and then once again in the late summer. I don't know if that can go on forever. Um, so that's that's the general insight I have. I wish I could tell you I know where we're going to be in 10 years. Do I think the hobby's still going to be alive? Absolutely. Do I worry about the three rail market? Not so much. Um, there's enough There's enough product out there in the world, even if more players drop out of the market, there's enough product to sustain the hobby for, for decades. So I don't worry about that. Absolutely. Yeah, that was I a- agree. That was a uh, that was a great take. I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, from the the past interviews we've had before with with um, just you know we've had a lot of YouTubers on here as as well and stuff like that and and everyone's been pretty pretty optimistic about where everything's going. But you know, there's always that you know what, what you kind of like stated on is the uh, you know the MTH tooling like where is it going to go and that's probably going to be you know play an important part. And how things are going to kind of, you know, move on in the industry. Now, for me, like I'm super excited for Atlas and I can't wait to order my first Atlas engine. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited about that. Uh, and I'm very happy for Atlas as well, uh, because, you know, I was, a, you know, I love Lionel and I love MTH as well, too. So 
Um, they always had me as a customer. Uh, the one thing, not to kind of like just kind of go back on MTH, but the one thing that that Mike really focused on that you know I really had a lot of respect for him is that he always made time or he always he always dedicated some of his pages to the smaller railroads uh and uh kind of what i kind of mean what i mean by that is like you know i'm a huge you know i'm from chicagoland i live here all my life born and raised here and i'm a huge metro guy and uh you know you know every you know whatever six or eight years uh there was always some type of uh, offering of metra engines and and metra passenger cars and uh and and again and not to hop back on subways, but again, you know, CTA, <laughs> CTA as well. And uh, that's something that I really, really loved about MTH is a lot of these smaller, smaller railroads and more um, unique uh, regional specific rail railways uh, that there were always product for. And I really hope that that gets transitioned as well to some of these folks that are that are picking up. Uh, you know the the tooling and the pieces that I mean there there are customers out there for 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 these smaller kind of railroads uh, and um, you know <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know if you've seen uh, MTH Metro prices I'm sure you have Derek but oh, no. they are they are just un unbelievable on eBay like just crazy South Shore anything Chicago South Shore and South Bend it's the same way and yeah. and I'm sure. I'm sure there's there's things, Matt, out by you on the East Coast. I mean, the subway prices haven't exactly dropped either, especially for some of those mm -hmm. early run subways. Uh, you know, there were a couple that were decorated in the Chicago Bears team. If we're trying to to meld the two together here in terms of talk about our Chicago and our subways at the same time, you know, and some of the prices for some of those Rail King Chicago sets are just through the roof because they weren't huge sellers when they were new, and the people that have decided to keep them have kept them. And then when one will filter out onto the market, inevitably, you've got, you know, the 5, 10, 15, whatever number of people that missed it, but are willing to go out there and just beat each other senseless on eBay over it. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because it, it just creates it creates this interesting secondary market that that, you know, you wouldn't have expected the prices to do what they're doing, but. There they are, and they're doing them, and the, the sales are real, and the transactions are real, and you sit back and you go, "Holy cow! How did that happen?" <laughs> Absolutely, and and uh, just kind of a, a, a quick note: I, I actually have the Bears CTA engines. Up, uh, I have the Bears CTA cars, and I have the White Sox CTA cars as well. So, ask <laughs> you: Do you plan on selling them anytime uh, soon? Never. Exactly. And never. No. Well. And another good example is that, and, and granted, I checked just for kicks and giggles. Uh, this is, would have been back uh, probably before Christmas last year. You know, there you can't find a Conrail T1 on eBay right now. And and that's where, you know, everybody was really skeptical of the made-to-order, build-to-order, whatever model you want to call it. Uh, and and every manufacturer has their own version of it. It's, it's some – MTH was never very public-facing about it in terms of they just would always say, oh, we don't have enough orders for that. We're going to cancel it. Lionel kind of spun the story of, well, if you don't order it, we're not going to get enough and we're not going to make it. Plus, we're only making what we get orders for once we get across that threshold. And it actually has helped the market in terms of it's helped prop up prices in a way that, you know, 15 years ago when Lionel was running things at, at a much higher quantity, 
you know, the dealers that overbuy on them. And two years, you know, from the release, you know, you were looking at an engine that at the time you paid twelve or thirteen hundred dollars for that somebody like Charlie Rowe was blown out for six fifty, seven hundred and it never it never made you feel real good about pre-ordering anything. Yes, you'd had it for an extra two years, but if you were like, well, I could have saved myself five hundred dollars if I'd waited two years. You know, it, it never made anybody feel very good about it. And now what's happened, like I said, is there's there's this contraction in the market where suddenly you don't have that glut of extra product that's hitting the market, you know, uh, 18 months after it's cataloged and released that that you used to have. And it, it, again, it's it's helped uh, it's helped resellers on the secondary market to kind of, I don't know if protect their investment is the right word, but it definitely makes you feel better when you go to sell it. Yep, absolutely. Speaking of uh, T1 Conrail, is there, is there a is there a, a holy grail engine or piece of rolling stock that um, has eluded you that you're uh, that you're that you're still looking to uh, add into your collection? So the stuff, I, I the blessing and curse of my day job at Stout Auctions is I've seen just about everything, or at least I've had the opportunity to buy just about everything. Um, what I really collect um, and that that really still gets me going is I collect modern era prototypes, and and those those are much harder to find in terms of most of the time they're one of one. It's not one of twenty five or one of fifty. Um, in terms of anything that I'm actually actively chasing, um, there's nothing on my list right now that I'm just like, I've got to find one. Um, there are there are absolutely some prototypes that if they became available, if they ever became available, that I would absolutely strongly consider buying. But I spent, you know, the last time I've really chased hard is when uh, Neil Young sold off his train collection. Um, gosh, it's been probably it'll be three years ago this year. And and Neil sold off some really cool uh, TMCC and Legacy prototype things as part of that collection. And I spent way too much money during that auction. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and so, and that was, that was the last time I've really chased anything hard. Like I said, Ryan has made everything so easy in terms of, um, you know, it, he's been really good to me in terms of the Conrail stuff that's been cataloged. And so, you know, um, it, it really has kind of taken away that desire to chase because I'm like, okay, there's a good chance I'm going to get something in whatever catalog that's coming next. Actually, uh, just this last catalog was the first catalog in a long time that I was like, mm, I don't have to have anything out of this. I bought a couple of things, but I didn't have to have anything. And so uh, that's kind of left me looking around and going, okay, what, what have I missed here in terms of what are the things that I initially passed on over over the years that I'd like to go back and possibly try and acquire and uh, there's definitely a handful of things out there but nothing i would call a holy grail piece right now that uh you know i would i would pour a lot of resources into finding gotcha okay mm -hmm. um i think for now um i i did want to go into uh, delve into um more of the uh, podcasting side of things, but um, I'm going to pass the the mic over to uh, Matt Z and uh, see if he has any questions for you. All right. Well, uh, I really don't actually. The questions I was going to ask were on the podcasting topic, so we can, uh, I guess, go with that if you want. 
yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I think I'll just, you know, I think I'll just ask the, the, you know, the, the million dollar question is, is what, you know, what motivated you to actually start a, an O scale, uh, you know, model railroading podcast? Sure. And, and so the twofold, um, and, and you and I talked about this off the air is that my background was in radio a long time ago. That was actually, uh, one of, it was my, so my, my major in college was communications and my concentration was in radio broadcasting. And so, uh, I went to a small Christian university, uh, in Kankakee, Bourbonnet, Illinois called Olivet Nazarene university. And so had the opportunity to work for the radio station there. And, uh, Graduated in 2007, came out of school, uh, worked for another radio station for about a year and a half, and then got my opportunity to make the jump to Stout Auctions. And so uh, was there for, I was probably at Stouts for two or three years and still still enjoyed radio. I like radio and I like podcasting and I like the medium as a whole. I like the long format interview style. Um and and so, you know, podcasting uh, end of 2012 into 2013 was just starting to become a thing. I mean, those of us that were, were in at that point, we were the early adopters. You know, the really big podcasts like uh, Serial and some of the ones that went really mainstream hadn't come along yet. And uh, I, like I said, I missed radio. And, and, you know, what ended up happening is I was sitting around thinking about it. And I thought, you know what? Basically, you could do a radio show not have anybody tell me what to do, when to do it, what time it had to be on. You know, it, it, it got rid of, podcasting got rid of all the traditional trappings of radio. And it, it allowed me to do a show and it allowed me to get onto a topic that I really was passionate about and I'm still passionate about, and that's the O-Gage industry. And so suddenly, you know, I had the ability to do a radio show without all the, again, the trappings of doing a radio show. And it gave me this great excuse to start calling people and talking to people that, you know, I, I mean, a great example, uh, Richard Kuhn, who the late, great Richard Kuhn, who I got to know really well, um, you know, as, as a, a 20 something year old, you know, just hobbyist, you're not going to have an opportunity to, to call Richard Kuhn and say, Hey, will you just talk to me for two hours for no good reason? <laughs> and, and notch six suddenly gave me that opportunity and partnering with the Lionel collectors club of America. Suddenly, you know, here's an invitation of, Hey, the LCCA wants to do a video interview and you can do a podcast interview at the same time. And we want you to go to Detroit and run trains with Richard Kuhn and interview. And I'm like, uh, yes. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. Sign me up. That's, that's exactly it. And I remember, I remember sitting in Dick's basement, listening to him and watching him answer the questions that I was asking him and just going, Holy crap, how did I get here and why am I doing this? And this is <laughs> and you're just having one of the you're having one of those out-of-body fanboy experiences while you're in the middle of doing it. And it just, you know, and and the flip side of that is, you know, I'm geeking out in my head. And then you would put the episode out, you know, I think it was two weeks later when the episode came out, and you start getting feedback from your listeners. You're like, wow, I never knew that. What a great story in terms of some of the stories you were telling. And you start to realize that you're providing a service that you don't even realize you're providing. You're so engrossed in the, in listening to your subject stories. And that was what was so awesome about it was just getting to hear the stories. And then, like I said, you put the episode out and you start getting feedback of, oh man, I never knew that. Or what a great explanation. It's like, oh, wait a second. 
there's actually people out here listening to this who are actually learning something from this as well. And so it was just, it was, it was the perfect situation at the perfect time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just so rewarding to, to see that here we are. And like I said, we haven't really done anything consistently for a year and a half now. And, you know, I've kind of stepped away as I focused on building my, my business and, you know, here I've got you guys that have kind of picked up the torch and, and there's other people that have stepped into the space and shoot, Notch 6 still gets downloads almost every day. And it's like, you just, you never realize what you're building while you're in the middle of building it. And then when you step back and you get some perspective, you realize, oh, wow, this, this was actually something that's a thing. And, and you guys are building a thing right now that you guys will look back a year from now and go, man, I'm glad I did that. And uh, it's just, it's a cool medium to be a part of. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we just last week, uh, you know, we were reviewing some, uh, some, you know, some stats and stuff like that and some metrics and, uh, you know, we had, we had pushed over a thousand downloads and, uh, you know, for us as, you know, as small as we are and, you know, for the, for the listener base that we have attached to, you know, our podcast now, we were just, we were just ecstatic about that. You know, we were happy when, you know, when we put out our first like 10 episodes that, you know, more, you know, 30 to 40 people, uh, you know, were actually, you know, hitting the download button and, and, you know, pushing the media down to their, you know, their phone or their iPad or their computer or, or whatnot. And um, to us, that was just like, a, um, you know, a, just a, just a thrill uh, that people were, you know, actually listening to us and. You know, it, the one thing about the train industry is 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 that or the, the moderating industry is that, um, look, you know, and this probably goes for a lot of hobbies, too. But, man, everyone just likes talking about trains. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that just it, it doesn't ever get old talking about trains. And, you know, we kind of thought that, well, you know, pod, pod, podcasting offers that tool to folks that maybe, you know, don't have a chance to go out all the time and uh, interact with interact with people. And uh, especially now with, you know, with COVID, you know, everything with COVID and everything, you know, people are, are, are were a little bit more kind of home homebound more than usual. And, uh, you know, we hope that we we provided um, entertainment and we hope, you know, we we, we hope that we provided uh, just uh, just talking trains you know, with people, even though they were, even though they were just kind of on the listening end of things, uh, that we were providing something to them that they could like, you know, talk about later or, uh, you know, or even just provide feedback to us. And we've gotten such great positive feedback from folks and, you know, we've got, <laughs> we've gotten some interesting, uh, you know, uh, I hate to say negative feedback, but, uh, you know, we, we, we take it all, yeah. um, you know, we want people to tell us, you know, what would you like to hear? You know, what are we doing wrong? What, what is, you know, is, do you, do you have any topics that, you know, that, uh, would anybody like to hear? And, um, yeah, it just, we're, we're enjoying the ride. And, uh, and, and again, um, you know, you know, thanks to, again, you know, thanks to you, Derek, for, uh, for, um, for creating that path. Right. Um, cause who know, who, who knew there was going to be like, you know, an O scale trains podcast and, sure. um, yeah. and, uh, 
we knew it was going to be a thing. And I'm not even sure how much of a thing it actually was or is. And I remember, I remember the days, you know, the first year, literally the goal was to get one download a day. I thought once I see one download a day, I'll know that it's at least starting to get something. I remember we hit that. It took until about the middle of the first summer before we would see consistently a download a day. And suddenly it started becoming two, three, seven, ten. Yep. You know, and all of a sudden it started snowballing. You're like, holy crap, it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny you talk about taking all the feedback. The bigger you get, the bigger the target on your back becomes. And, yep. and it was it happened to all of us. Any any time you put your head up above the water, especially in this industry, and this is <laughs> this is this is a compliment. And again, this is backhanded compliment. I guess would be the right way to say it. This industry will tell you whether they love you or they hate you, and they really don't care. They're not out there doing anything about it, but they'll sure tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> and it's just part of it. You know, I, I literally got an email. Uh, I think this has probably been three weeks ago now. And like I said, I've been quiet since October in terms of I haven't put anything out. It's like, why don't you announce that the show's over? And I literally, I thought, because I don't want to. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, you start, and you guys, <laughs> you start putting out consistently and then it goes from, uh, you know, you're doing it and you're doing it on the schedule because you guys want to get it out there on the schedule. And then suddenly it's an expectation. And when you start missing dates, you know, people are like, where are you? Did you die? No, I didn't die. I just <laughs> had a life. That's all. So uh, and like I said, and it, it's, you know what? And I say that it's flattering. It's flattering when people, you realize that you start getting emails. Where did you go? I, I missed you this month. You know, it's like, oh, you don't, again, it's, it, when you're doing it, especially in podcasting, it's like an echo chamber in terms of, you You know, I, I, I remember sitting there recording episodes, literally staring at my office wall and think, you don't think about who's hearing it. And then you realize when you start looking at the metrics at the end of the month, wait a second, X number of people are taking the time to listen to this. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, you guys are, are just at the beginning of, of what I hope will be a very, a very successful program for you guys. And you guys will look back on this in a few years and go, remember how bad we sounded back then. And you just, it, it just builds on top of itself one after the other. And, you know, and the cool thing is there's so many areas still to explore in the industry that, that we never got to do with notch six and uh, it, the world is your canvas at this point. And so I'm excited to see where you guys take this. Thanks. I appreciate that. And, and and look, Derek, I was one of those guys, uh, you know, on my on my iPhone, you know, refreshing my uh, my my, uh, you know, my Apple podcast app with uh, looking at uh, my notch six going, hmm, I don't see a new download yet. Maybe there's something wrong with my phone. I'll just restart my phone. <laughs> but uh, that's the stuff. That's the stuff that makes me miss it. And that's I it's. It's such a double-edged sword because it was work every month and it is work every month to do. And nobody realizes it until you're doing it. And you guys realize it because you're in the middle of the throes of it. But getting interviews lined up every month, coming up with meaningful questions, thinking about, you know, thinking about the logistics that goes into all of it. Um it's work and you don't think about it, but you know, especially, you know, when you guys are like on a two month, two, you know, episode a month download cycle, you know, you don't think about it being work, but it is. And, and 
But when I hear you say that, and I know it's true because I've had other people say it, it makes you want to pick it back up and say, sorry, guys, I didn't mean to go away for so long, but here I am. And, and it's a I wish there were 48 hours in a day. Absolutely. True. I, I miss it there. And, and nights like tonight where, where we're sitting here talking about it, I miss it, you know, and I just, I wish there were time to keep all the plates spinning. And that's, that truthfully is the reason, you know, we continue to pay for the feed every month in terms of, you know, it's not doing anything right now, but I am, maybe I'm too much of a, I don't know if dreamer is the right word, but um, I just don't want to close the, ch- I don't want to, I don't want to put the period on the end of the sentence, even though it's been a long time and it's definitely slowed down. I just, I can't, I can't bring myself to put the period on the end of the sentence and say, that was a good run. Well done. We're proud of it. You know, let it stand on its own. I just, I can't bring myself to do it yet. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> That's right, dude. There will there will always be. I can guarantee you, there will always be listeners out there um, ready for some from Notch Six. And again, you know, look, you have your own personal life. You have your own business. Life gets life throws things at you, and and you and you you know you have, you have you have a family. You got to provide for your family. You have to do what's right for you first, and that should always come be the most important thing. But uh, with that said, you know, I have never unsubscribed from not six podcasts and I probably never will. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you do, um, you know, decide to do it again, well, you know, again, there's, there's plenty of listeners out there and, um, you know, if you, uh, you know, and again, you are a hundred percent always welcome to come on this podcast. Oh yeah. Um, even if, you know, if you're, if you're ready to announce something new on notch six, you know, you're more than welcome to come on here and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, let us know, uh, you know, you're always welcome here. So mm-hmm. I think that sounds a lot easier from my perspective in terms of you guys have made this so easy in terms of getting this set up. And that's really, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of bring it back into, into the, the podcasting and the model railroad realm here. Um, that's really what I've seen change over the last 24 months is the ease of, being able to do this, you know, it was, it was relatively easy to do this when I started, um, you know, sitting here looking at the platform that you guys have in order to do this, this is even easier than when I started. And so it makes it that much easier to get people involved in it. Um, but what's, what's interesting is, is everybody always talked about the catalog shows and how great the catalog shows are and what nobody, well, maybe what they have realized or what I've realized that's really, it's, it's flattering and it's interesting is that the manufacturers have taken that idea and they're doing it on their own now. It used to be, it used to be that, you know, I would call and say, Hey, let's do a catalog show. Let's really break down the catalog. And look, you know, you can turn it into to Lionel's Facebook page. Now, literally the afternoon, the catalog comes out and you're going to get it straight from Ryan and Dave for an hour. Yep. It, oh, it yeah. doesn't need, it doesn't need me anymore. And that's, what's cool is to have seen the manufacturers take off with it and start doing these ideas that were originally, kind of notch six ideas. And, you know, because of how everything has changed over the past year, you know, suddenly they actually have time to pour into doing social media. And so to watch, to watch the manufacturers take up that mantle and go, yeah, we're going to talk about our new products for an hour now, as opposed to just throwing the catalog out there and letting you figure it out yourself, you know, that's yep. a big deal. And, and I'm happy to see them have picked it up in that way. It's, it's something <laughs> that 
needed to do a long time ago, and it just took a it took a global pandemic to make them actually do it. Yeah, hey, I I think it's an important. I think it was. It's definitely social media is a huge important step for uh, any of the manufacturers out there because of just the way things are. You know, uh, have been going, and you know, even like you said with the pandemic, but uh, just the way kind of uh, people are absorbing uh, news now. You know, it is just, you know, and you, you have, you know, you know, I know you, you have children. So, I mean, you, you probably get it too. Like, you know, I have a, I have a, an 11 year old daughter and, uh, you know, she's obsessed with TikTok, right? Oh. And it's just like, you know, everything is TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. And, I- um, man, just the amount you could do and the, <laughs> the amount of, I guess look at the best way to put this, the amount of exposure that you can get. And you don't eat, you could you could just become famous overnight mm-hmm. with these with these social media outlets. Now it's crazy. Oh yeah. The the first real out-of-body experience I had in the minute, the first time I realized that Notch Six was bigger than just my office here in Lafayette, Indiana, is somebody came up to me. I was talking, uh, it was at, I can't remember if it was LCCA or TCA. And I had my back turned and somebody came up and tapped me on the shoulder and they go, I recognize your voice. You're the podcast guy. And I went, oh, crap. You did it, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, you know, you start to realize, oh, wait a second. And it's, you know, the funny thing is, and it's, I know it's the same way for some of the personalities over at the manufacturers. I know for Ryan and Dave, you know, you're in this very public facing role. And you take the good and the bad and it's just, it's part of the job now, especially, you know, and, and Mike Reagan was really the first guy at Lionel who was that real public facing guy who was out there in front of people. And that's why Mike got as big as he got was because he was out at all the shows and he was doing a lot of, you know, the limited media exposure that that Lionel had at that time you know Mike was forward facing and so you know Mike goes from running Train America Studio to the head of uh, you know repairs in Canfield when it was still in Ohio and suddenly Mike is kind of the public face of Lionel whether intentionally or unintentionally and it's just it's weird how like I said putting yourself out there on social media it's the same thing with with Eric Siegel you know Eric is absolutely the face of YouTube for for the oak age hobby, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And sometimes it's just how consistently you do something. And suddenly, you know, you, you've got these opportunities to interact with the manufacturers and, and talk with them on a regular basis. And next thing you know, you know, people are coming up because they recognize your voice. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. You know, you got to think, uh, yeah, like you know, you've kind of made it when you got a manufacturer that talks to you like on a regular basis. You know, you've done something right. Oh, absolutely, and that was you know, that was cool when they started giving us the time of day in terms of you know the first couple of times it was it was standoffish and they were trying to figure out what the space was about too because like I said when Notch Six started this was all new nobody knew what a podcast was yet you know I remember having to explain it as it's radio on demand and uh, you know as they figured out what it was. And again, you know, talk about, you know, the last 12 months, everybody has figured out what, you know, 
YouTube and Facebook Live and all of these different channels are and how important they are to the business now because, you know, there's no York, there's no LCCA, there's no TCA, you know, I mean, the organizations are still there, but those conventions and this, this shift had started happening well before the pandemic in terms of the, the manufacturers had realized that their product cycle didn't have to live and die on York. And they had started to realize, you know what, we can do this whenever we want to roll out this product and not have to wait for York. You know, a lot of it stuck around just because it was tradition. But behind the scenes, they're all like, man, we can do this whenever we want to do this. We don't have to wait for York to do this anymore. And that's, you want to talk about what's going to be a big shift. I'm curious to see what York looks like in October in terms of we've had two years off. The world has changed significantly in how it interacts. How are people, is it going to be a big York just because people want it so bad that they're going to show up? Or is it going to be different because people have realized in the two years that they can go online, buy just about anything they want off of eBay or from a hobby retailer that's online and they don't need York? It's it's going to be interesting because before pre-pandemic, the conversations were already starting that I go to York to see my friends. I don't really go to York to buy trains anymore. And so now it's okay. If it really is going to see your friends and some of your friends aren't going to be there, are you still going to go? It's uh, the, the numbers after October York are going to be interesting to watch. I'm, I'm really curious to see how that turns out. Same. Same. And I actually plan on going to York uh, in, in the fall. So at least trying to attend <laughs> York in the fall. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that. And just to bounce on your topic real quick, you're talking about, you know, buying stuff on eBay. Uh, this is right when the pandemic started. Um, I, my grandfather and dad uh, were going to a train show and uh, they asked me if I wanted to go. I told them no, just because I, I just, I didn't want to go. It was really, that was long and short of it. So what do I do? I, I go on eBay a couple hours later, I bought an MTH Premier E6. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so much easier, you know, and let's be honest. You're given you're given X numbers of Saturdays in your life. Do you really want to spend it two hours in the car each way, paying ten dollars admission to a show, walking around, seeing the same vendors with the same overpriced things on their table, and maybe you're lucky find something that you're looking for versus sit down, get on eBay, stoutauctions.com, whatever it is, find what you're looking for put in whatever your number or click the buy it now button and you're out 15 minutes versus five hours. It yeah. just, it, it doesn't, yeah. it's changing whether people like it or not, the shows are dying. And, and I'm not afraid to say that anymore publicly. I mean, it's just, it's just changing and, and change is inevitable. Yes. It, like what we're talking about, about how social media has really taken on a role here in the past couple of years of how the manufacturers interact with the hobby and vice versa. It's just change and, and, and it's inevitable and it's going to change. And, you know, the, the challenge is, is who's going to fight the change and inevitably die with, you know, whatever is going away and who's going to rise to the challenge and say, yeah, I understand things are changing and it means I'm going to have to learn some new areas, but I'm going to embrace that change and run headlong. Um, great example is Train World. This virtual York thing, when this started last April, I thought, thank God somebody thought of it. You know, and, and look at where it's at now. It's turned into a four-night event where you get to hear from all the same people that you were going to walk and talk to at York. 
and you never have to leave the comfort of your home now. And and like I said, it's it's those people that are rising to the occasion of saying, okay, we can't do things the way we used to do it. So how are we going to figure out to get that same kind of feel? And uh, the the industry as a whole and the hobbyists as a whole, I feel like have responded really well to to saying we're going to try to make this work in in the face of adverse circumstances. Well said. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's uh, funny that you mentioned uh, train roll because uh, before we we started the podcast, I was actually I was actually watching that event on YouTube live, uh, and I I I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was just very cool, like just uh, just the interaction between uh, you know the guests that were on uh, with you know Ken and Ken Junior. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait for uh, tomorrow and and uh, to to see what else uh, they have planned. So me too. I'm going to take a second and I'm going to praise Ken Jr. Because Ken, Ken Bianco Jr. is is a rock star and a hero in this hobby and doesn't get near the credit he deserves. Because, And, and Ken and I have had a lot of, of quiet conversations in the corner of the Orange Hall at York about, about what do we do in terms of how do we make it better. And Ken is Ken's young enough. I think Ken's younger than I am by a few years. And we're close to, we're close to the same age, but Ken's in his 30s with me. And we both talked about quietly about what do we do in order to make it better. Um, and Ken, Ken just happens to be in a position with, with his family owning Trainland and Train World where Ken can step up to the plate and pull together the resources uh, to make cool things happen. And like I said, to watch Virtual York come out of this, yes. Is it a great marketing thing for Train World? Absolutely it is. Am I sure they're going to sell some extra trains this week because of it? Absolutely, they are. But let's be honest. Nobody was running into the burning building last year at this time going, I'm going to host a virtual York. I'm going to make this happen. And they stepped up to the plate and they made it happen when nobody else, nobody was even thinking about it. It was put together on such short notice last year. And it's like, why didn't anybody else? Why didn't the TCA do this? Why didn't the LCCA do this? Why did it take a hobby, you know, a hobby shop? to make this happen. And those are, those are the kind of things that, that I've sat back and again, being quiet over the last year and a half. And those are the things I've sat back and pondered is why is it taking a hobby retailer to make this happen as opposed to these national organizations? But that's just my two cents. And I'm going to stop before I get in trouble. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> I'm actually going to, yeah, I'm actually going to double down on that uh, with uh, Ken Jr. Because a uh, couple, couple of months ago, um, I had purchased a, uh, a BNSF ES44, and um, I had uh, I got it from Train World, and I opened it up, and I couldn't get it to program. It was you know it was one of Lionel's uh, brand new ES44s, and it just wouldn't take a program. And I posted something on uh, on the OGR forums to see if anybody had any problems, and I had mentioned that you know I had mentioned it on there that I got it from Train World, and um, Ken Ken actually emailed me directly about it and basically took me through the whole process of okay matt don't no problem we'll get you something send out you know send us here here's the rma link uh you know let us know you know how you want to do this you know if you want to get you know something you know a new one or if you just want to get a refund but i mean here's like the you know the the the, the, the part owner of this company of this, this this huge um you know uh you know, reseller of, of O gauge products and, and other obviously model rearing products. And he emails me directly 
to help me with something. And that like that like blew me away right there. Like I was just totally taken back uh with uh with Train World and 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 Ken Jr. at that point. And I said, man, this guy, this guy knows like the business and he knows how to treat customers because he's he he just comes off as the guy that, you know what? Uh if you're having a problem, I'm gonna make things right. And uh, you know, so that's my that's my it's <laughs> my kudos story for for Train World. But I tell you what, you know, when I'm looking for something new, you know, I'm on trainworld.com. So and there's your sponsor plug for this episode. So uh yeah, <laughs> check out trainworld.com, go say thanks to the Biancos, tell them thank you for all they do for this hobby. And uh they really should consider sponsoring this podcast because it's an awesome podcast. There you go. There's your sponsor plug for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Derek. I appreciate I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I really do. Yeah, and you say that that's when and and again, I've had this conversation in, in, with multiple people quietly over the years. You know, I'm waiting for the day you want to. We want to circle back to that question of where's the hobby going to be in ten years. I'm convinced that you're going to see the manufacturers that are left really rein in in terms of who they're willing to license as an authorized dealer. I think that number is going to get very very small. I think you might see uh, Lionel cut it. And this is this is a guess. This is no. This is no. I don't have any inside information. But I could see Lionel really cutting it down to 25 major hobby shops in the country that they they are willing to do business with directly, and maybe even less than that. And I think you will see Lionel start to go direct to consumer a lot more. That would be the smart way to do it, especially as, as the hobby continues to contract. But that being said, how Ken treated your situation, that's how being a hobby retailer should work in the 21st century. Because let's be honest. The only thing that most hobby retailers can compete on anymore is price. And at this point, it's a race to the bottom in terms of who can cut the pre-order price the lowest because there's nothing else to compete on. It doesn't matter if you're local or not anymore because everybody's getting their stuff shipped down anyway. So basically, the two things you can compete on is price and how you treat your customers when stuff goes sideways. And Ken is a perfect example of, you know what, something went sideways. It wasn't my fault that it went sideways, but he's still my customer. And what am I going to do to make it right? Or at least, you know, show him that we care about his business. Those are the two tent poles that you can stand on anymore. And, and good on Ken for, for doing what he should be doing. And like I said, there's a lot of hobby retailers who aren't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have been, and I'll, I can tell you right now, I've been down the road of the, where I've had a problem and I was told, well, you need to contact MTH or Lionel because I, I can't help you with that anymore. Same. And obviously I'm not going to mention who those, you know, who those folks are, but, um, uh, you know, this, you know, when that happened, w- uh, with train world and Ken, it just kind of like, uh, just was like a breath of fresh air for me. So, you know, and, and obviously this is not, you know, I want folks to also support their local hobby shops as well. And, and I have local shop, hop, local hobby shops around Chicago land that I also go to, and I also buy products from as well. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that, that customer service thing, I think is just, is, uh, like you pointed out, Derek, is just like the one thing that, uh, if you can, if you can get it down to, uh, you know, to a science and, you know, people trust your business, uh, you know, that, Hey, you know what, I'm going to buy a train from train world because I know if something goes wrong, you know, Ken, Ken and, uh, and the rest of the Bianco family is going to be there, uh, to help me out if I have a problem. 
and that's 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 our second plug for trainrail.com so it's nice work that's that and see that's how that's how you make this work <laughs> exactly <laughs> well i think we're we're kind of over the hour mark here and i and i know you're a busy guy and i don't want to take up all of your time uh but i did want i did want you to get a chance for you to maybe if you wanted to talk about uh, the things that you're doing, either with your uh, the business side of things that you're working on, or anything else that you you wanted to bring up. Sure. So I'll, I'll keep my plug real short and sweet, and we'll just plan on doing a part two at some point. Okay. Uh, what I what I have done for the last uh, really year and a half now is um, Stout Auctions, who I've worked for for 11 years, is a great company. We're still by volume. We're the largest toy train auction house in the U.S. We're not changing that anytime soon. Uh, the great thing about Stout Auctions is after 28 years in business, it runs really, really well without a lot of extra help, so to speak, in terms of, and I have just reached a point in my life where I've got that entrepreneurial itch. And if you followed me over the last five years, whether it was uh, originally the Madison Hardware shirts and then which morphed into the Madison Poster Company doing repop Lionel Dealer posters from the 50s, which then morphed into the Madison Hardware Story, which was writing a book, which I had no business doing, but it turned out great anyway. Uh, and then and then, really, uh, I came back about a year and a half ago and took a look around at, at uh, the railroadiana industry, not so much model trains, but, you know, lanterns, locks, keys, signs. And realize that here in the Midwest, there's nobody doing it and doing it well. There's a couple of East Coast auction houses uh, that do it and do it pretty well. Uh, there's a couple of West Coast auction houses that do it and do it pretty well. And there's a couple when you get kind of farther Midwest, kind of heading south. But literally, and it's funny, you know, we talk about the Chicagoland area. There is nobody in Chicago, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Kentucky, you know, that does Rarodiana and does it well. And yep. I just thought, I thought, you know what, it's time for somebody to step up to the plate and do it. And so we launched Rail and Road, which uh, we we do work in uh, the Rarodiana side and the automotive side. And one of the other things that kind of came out of that that we never expected is is we're we're specializing in transportation art as well. And so if it's if it's art that features things with wheels on it we seem to be making quite a little name for ourselves as well in terms of specializing in that. And so what we've really done is just taken the idea of, uh, and this is my motto is serve people well. And we've just kind of taken that to heart in terms of looking at these niche markets that, you know, the bigger auction houses, um, they don't want to screw with it. They just, unless it's, unless it's a thousand dollars a lot, or, you know, they're guaranteed X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars on the sale. Uh, they don't want to mess with it. And we just kind of said, no, 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 no. That's not the way this works. We we work for our customers. We work for our sellers. And and it's our job to serve them well, whether it's a massive collection or whether it's a small collection. You know, they deserve the same kind of attention. And so uh, Rail and Road Auctions, uh, we're going into really, uh, we're in our second year now. Um we're on the brink of a couple of really big things. Uh, we're going to have an announcement here, I would say, within the next 30 days of a collection that we've been uh, included on that is a very, very well-known Railroadiana collection that uh, has some very significant pieces in it. And so we're excited about that. Uh, the other thing we just did, and, and this will relate more to the toy train side of things, is we just launched a second company alongside of it called Rail and Road Art. And, and what we found with our artists that we were working with uh, for the art auctions is 
most of these artists are older and they don't know or want to mess with an online store. And so there's all this incredible artwork and prints and things like that out there that don't have a home or, or the artist doesn't really want to mess with it. And so we've kind of stepped into the gap and said, hey, we'll help with that. And so uh, we just launched a, a new website and we really haven't talked about it publicly. It's literally only a few weeks old. It's at rargallery.com. And there's over 200 uh, car and train prints already there that uh, come from artists Angela Trotta Thomas, Robert Hunt, uh, David Snyder, Eric Smith, all of these really fantastic artists that, you know, our goal is literally we need to give them more time to be artists and, and worry about painting cool things and less time worrying about running a digital online store. And so uh, specifically uh, talking about the toy train side of things, uh, Angela has been a great friend of ours for, for many years, and she's given us access to her back catalog of prints, prints that she did back in the 90s that haven't been available on the open market for years. She's said, okay, here's the inventory I have left. Here's the counts. You guys have the counts. You are the authorized re retailer on them. So suddenly, you know, uh, I think Angela's got like probably 30 or 40 prints on our site that haven't been available for like 15, 20 years. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, there's, there's a lot of cool things happening. And so, uh, you know, we're, I'm just enjoying running my own business. You know, it's, it's one thing to work for somebody else. It's another thing to kind of call the shots and, and, and live and die on your own decisions. And so, uh, you know, it, it's kept me really, really busy, but, uh, we're, we're just having a lot of fun doing it and, uh, learning, learning to, to ride with the fear, as I like to call it in terms of, you know, there's, there's, when, when it's your own business, it's kind of like, uh, if I screw this up, I'm really going to screw it up good. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're, we're just going to learn. to. Fear sits over here in the passenger seat and I keep it company and, <laughs> and you know, we have conversations. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the same way watching Notch 6 grow in terms of, you know, it was one thing to see when we hit, you know, one listener a day. And I'm watching Rail and Road grow in the same way in terms of we're starting we're starting to get calls for these major railroad collections that need good representation and so that same kind of rush i got from watching not six grow I, I get to watch and get that same kind of rush now watching rail and road grow and uh, it's it's just been a lot of fun um and so uh yeah that's that's kind of what's keeping us busy that's fantastic that's really and i'm definitely cool, going to yeah, I'm definitely going to check out. Uh, I love I love uh, railroad art and I, you know, uh, around my layout, I have, you know, all kinds of railroad signs and, and, and pictures as well. And uh, I'm always looking for something new there. So I am definitely going to check out your websites, uh, especially your new one, which is I'm um, very interested in uh, because uh, that's exciting. And um, yeah, I just uh, honestly, just good luck to you uh, with your ventures. Uh, I think that's just utterly fantastic uh, that you, 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 even though, you know, yeah, you're not, you know, podcasting at the moment, but you are hundred percent still in the, uh, in the, in the railroading uh, industry. And uh, that's awesome. If, if it has wheels and it has a whistle, usually I'm good with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's that's a great way to put it too. <laughs> that's funny. And, and, you know, and that's, that is, that is one of life's real blessings is, I get to do something that I truly care about. Then that has fascinated me for literally decades now. And not many people get to say that they do that and get to make a life doing it. And there are still days where it's a job and it's like, this sucks, you know, but it's, 
I can't can't imagine I can imagine doing other things, but I like keeping it in the space where I'm passionate about it. Getting to do something you're passionate about is very rare. And so uh, you know, I've just kind of made it a life goal to continue to do things that that drive my imagination and excite me. And really, uh, you know, the new the new art website, it's about helping the artist. If it, it it's not really about me with that one. It's really about, you know, the artists keep telling me, hey, there's this problem of I don't know how to run an online store and I don't want to do this. Can you help? Yeah, I can help. You know, and if it if it if it makes honestly, it's really about serving then if we make some money in the process that's great, you know, but really it's about taking care of our artist friends. And so we're just excited to be doing it, but uh, I'm excited to see where you guys go. I am so happy that you guys are doing this. I'm excited for you both because like I said, episode 19, you are just, you're just at the beginning of oh, yeah. <laughs> get really interesting. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to, to keep tabs on what you guys are doing. I hope you guys will have me back again. Uh, I, I really enjoy doing this. And like I said, it's a lot more fun when there's, when there's other people that are talking back with you to dialogue with, as opposed to just doing a monologue on your own. Absolutely. You are a hundred percent welcome back anytime. Yeah, In fact, um, you know, I, I would definitely make plans to do it uh, sooner than later because there is uh, there's a lot more things to talk about and I'm sure there'll be a lot more things to talk about in the next uh, uh, several weeks or, you know, next mm-hmm. couple of months, we'll probably have a lot more things pop up on the horizon uh, to talk about <laughs> for sure. Uh, Derek, with that said, Derek, uh, where can, uh, where can people find you on social media? The best place, uh, to find, to find my businesses right now, um, you can find rail and road auctions, rail ampersand and road, uh, auctions on Facebook. Uh, our website is bid B I D R A R.com. Uh, notch6.com is still active. Um, and so if you're looking for the back catalog of the podcast, it's there. Uh, the art website, rargallery.com. There you'll find all the prints of all the railroad art uh, from some of your favorite railroad artists. And so, uh, and I'm always just an email away at N-O-T-C-H-S-I-X at gmail.com. So if uh, you want to call or email and tell me you love me, you hate me, uh, I never show up on anybody else's phone ever again, whatever. And sometimes I'll answer you and other times you'll get ignored. So there you go. That's how you find me. I'll, I'll go ahead and put those in the sh- in the in the show notes as well, so people just uh, have a little clicky. And uh, uh, Matt Z, where can people find you, sir? Uh, real quickly, first, uh, I know we've said it a bunch of times, but Derek, really big thanks, man. This is a ton of fun. I really enjoyed this one. The good news is I like it as much as you guys do. Don't you know that? <laughs> That's why this is fun, and that's why you will end up doing dozens and dozens of episodes like this because it is fun. And you'll, and there will come a point where you will sit there and go, "Man, I don't want to do one." But when you get into the middle of it, you still realize, "Oh yeah, that's why I'm doing this." Is because absolutely. This is fun. So yeah. yeah, I'm excited, for you guys. Awesome. Well, uh, I can be found on YouTube under Matt Dash Train Lover ninety nine forty three. It can also be found on Facebook under the same name as well. All right. And I can be found on YouTube at West Chicago Model Railroad. I'm on Facebook under the same name. And I'm also on Instagram. Uh, You can just look for WCMRR for West Chicago Model Railroad. So again, folks, thanks for joining us tonight. And again, thank you, Derek, for a fantastic podcast. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again. And with that said, everyone have a fantastic night. Thanks, guys. Take good care.